Amen. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to start off the story with the. How many of you guys like sad stories? Yeah. yeah. Are you serious? Well, give it up for Bobby. He needs help. And uh, uh, <laughs> he's definitely in our prayers now. Nice technique. I like that. But uh, sad story, but it's, it's about a guy who, uh, of a man who almost lost it all. And it was due to an addiction problem. You heard about addictions and stuff of that nature, right? And he about lost it all. And, and pay attention to the details, folks. And don't get arrogant because this, this could happen to you. Here's what he says. He says, it started out innocently enough. He said, I began to think at parties now and then just to loosen up. But the next thing you know, one thought led to another, and soon I was just more than a social thinker. It, are you catching on? It's not drink, it's think. <clears throat> he said, I began to think alone. To relax, I told myself, but it, I knew it wasn't true. Thinking became more and more important to me, and finally I was thinking all the time. I began to think on the job. And I knew that thinking and employment don't mix, but I couldn't stop myself. And I began to avoid friends at lunchtime I, I, just so I could go read Plato. And I, I'd return to the office uh, dizzy and confused, asking, what is it exactly we're doing here? And things weren't going well at home either. One evening, I, I had turned off the TV and asked my wife about the meaning of life. She spent that night at her mom's. And, and, and soon I had this reputation of being a heavy thinker. And one day the boss called me in and he says, hey, I like you, and it hurts me to say this, but your thinking has become a real problem. And if you don't stop thinking on the job, you're going to have to find another job. Well, that gave me a lot to think about. So I came home early <clears throat> after my conversation with the boss, and I confessed to my wife, honey, I've been thinking. And she said, I know you've been thinking, and I want a divorce. And I said, well, her, surely, honey, it's not that serious. She said, oh, it is serious. And her lower lip starts to quiver, and she says, you, you think as much as college professors, and college professors don't make any money, so if you keep on thinking, we're not going to have any money. <laughs> Impatiently, I replied, that's a faulty syllogism. She began to cry. I had enough. I couldn't take it anymore, so I stormed off, and I went out to the library. I stomped out the door, and I headed for the library. I'm in the mood for some Aristotle, and I got the PBS station blaring on the stereo. And I roared into the parking lot. I ran up to the big glass doors, but to my dismay, they didn't open. The library was closed. No! To this day, he says, I believe that God was looking out for me that night. As I sank to the ground, clawing at the unfeeling glass, whimpering for Aristotle, a poster caught my eye and said this, Friend, is heavy thinking ruining your life? Now, you probably recognize that line. It comes from the standard Thinker's Anonymous poster, which is why I am what I am today, a recovering thinker. I never miss a TA meeting. At each meeting, we watch non-educational videos. Last week, it was Caddyshack. <laughs> and then we share experiences about how we avoided thinking since the last meeting. And today, I still have my job, and things are a lot better at home, and life just seemed easier somehow just as soon as I stopped thinking. Now, that makes you think, doesn't it? Interesting. <laughs> now, folks, did that guy lose it all because of his thinking problem? Yeah, apparently, if that story is true, or if, it, if that was Bobby, I'm, we, we will pray for you. Okay, uh, <clears throat> but the reason why I think that joke is so funny is because, honestly, I think there's an element of truth to it, okay, uh, in our society today, okay? Now, more than ever, people really are turning off their brains, okay, especially when it comes to spiritual things, if you notice that, okay? And then they wonder why their lives are falling apart, okay? And it's not because they've been thinking too much, Okay, what I've noticed, it's because of this. As ironic as this might sound, the one book that requires us to do thinking, come let us reason together, the one book that tells us to do some thinking and tells us who God is, i.e. the Bible, is sitting on bookshelves collecting dust all across America. Okay, yeah, the truth's out there, all right? It's right here. You need to use your brain, you need to think, okay, and read it. It's called the Bible, okay? And now because of this, folks, we have churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists. It's self-imposed ignorance of God's word and who God is. 
And now we have Christians, we sit there and we say, oh, we believe in God. Sure we do, we believe in God. But half the time with our lips and our lives, we give a different impression. We act like God's not even there, okay? So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists, okay, by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue in our study on the character of God, the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, he's real. How many guys can verify that? Praise God, I'm glad you're here, okay? The last two weeks, we saw the second thing we need to know about God is he is personal, i.e. he is intimate, okay? It's the next attribute there. And there we saw that if we truly understand this, get that theological thing into our hearts, not just your head, it's going to radically change your life. As we saw there, it's going to change how you pray. It's going to change how you sing. It's going to change how you walk, and it's going to change how you handle loneliness. What's the amazing promise from Jesus Christ? Listen, I'm not just saying, hey, get out there and go share the gospel. He says, don't worry. I will be with you how long? Always, even to the end of the age. If you understand that, praise God. Christians, there's no such thing as loneliness. Jesus is with us wherever we go. Uh, Absolutely amazing. But that's not all. I'm still preaching on this, Bobby, so guess what? There's got to be more, and you're right, okay? (laughs) The third thing we need to know about God, if we're going to stop acting like these practical atheists, this is the theme, is, hello, God is wise. Turn to somebody and say, God knows everything, okay? God is wise, okay? But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to his. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Let's take a look there. And uh, if you find Isaiah, what do you do? Go to 42, that's right. And we're going to read verses 5 through 9. This, we're just, just getting started on this issue, the wisdom of God. How much does he know, right? And uh, what is this big phrase, the, the theological term, omniscience, all-knowing, okay? Just, and it's one thing for God to say, but does he give us a way that he shows it to be true? Yes, he does. Let's take a look at this. Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 9. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about this next aspect of God's character. This is what, who says? God, the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for my people and a light for the Gentiles. Why? To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. Listen to this. Here we go. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I, God, declare. Listen, before, listen, they spring into being. I, God, what? I announce them to you, proclaim them to you. I tell you about them before they even came to being. Obviously, God is telling us he what? He alone can predict the future. The Bible is clear, and this is just one aspect, folks. God is so wise. He not only knows the past, but obviously he knows the future, and he demonstrates that by telling us in advance. Way in advance, before it ever happens. And the first reason why we know that God is the ultimate source of wisdom is, hello, as we just saw, he knows the beginning from the end. Jesus, who is he? He's the Alpha, the Omega. That's the beginning of the Greek alphabet, the end of the Greek alphabet, okay? He knows it all. He's above and beyond time. He sees the whole timeline of man. At the very beginning, at the very end, he's above and He can see the whole thing all at the same time. So, of course, he knows the future. And the way that he doesn't just say this, I know everything. I know what's going to happen in every intimate detail, even in the future. He doesn't just say it. He demonstrates it through this thing called Bible prophecy. Right? It's not there just for Christian entertainment. Ah! 
<laughs> okay? It is to wake us up and to let us know this attribute of God. He knows everything. Because only God can predict the future, right? Throughout the Bible, we see specific evidence of God's amazing wisdom. And he does that through amazing uh, predictions, specific events, not this bland stuff. And some of them are hundreds of years in advance that have literally been fulfilled right down to the T, okay? And you might be thinking, and some skeptics will usually reply at this point like this, well, well hey, I know people who do that. Th those are psychics. Haven't you seen the commercials on TV? Call 1-800-baloney, okay? <laughs> right? And pay for every minute a dollar. What? But, but isn't that what psychics do? Well, first of all, read the Bible. Deuteronomy 18, we've been there many times before. What's Deuteronomy 18 say about this kind of behavior? Don't you dare go to a so-called psychic. Don't you dare, Christian, anyone, seek their so-called wisdom because it's an abomination to God. Why? Because it's a demonic deception. You're being led astray by demons. Deuteronomy 18, that's number one. Secondly, when you take a look, even those that aren't full-blown demonically possessed, because I think there are some that are, but when you take a look at their so-called wisdom that they can predict the future and know things about you that nobody knows, it's a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of chicanery, it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Like this guy, let's watch this guy again. Tegen Antwerpen. Ja. Insecten. Dat blijft. Ik voel twee insecten op je, op je rug. Kan dat? Ja, vlinders. Slovenië, Slovenië. Slovenië. Eén moto, oranje. Pas erop. Zenit. Oui, oui, bien. Je hebt een vriendin, uh, Julie de Ja. Een boeiend liefdesleven. Drie, vier zelfs. De vierde, daar zwijg ik meestal over, dus dat weten niet veel mensen. Hoe is mijn spierscheur? Maison rouge, balcon, blanc. Ja. Ik zie geld, ik zie transacties. Maar kent je rekening niet meer van buiten? Ik denk dat ik het wel weet. Die staat wel negatief op je bankrekening. Ja? 9-7. Last month, mm -hmm. you spent 200 euro's on alcohol. Vorige maand. 300 euro aan kleding gespendeerd. 8. Ja. 5. Voor een huis dat van eigenaar gaat veranderen. 295.000 euro. Ja, eigenlijk. 41. Ja. Is dat juist? Ja, dat is juist. Oh mijn god. Oh man. Ah, dat vind je eng. So much for supernatural powers. But if they didn't drop that curtain, what would every single one of those people leave with? What impression? Psychic is incredible. It's a bunch of baloney, folks. A lot of this stuff. The stuff that's not demonically possessed. 
Okay, a lot of it is this kind of stuff, okay? And, uh, but anyway, it gets even worse than that. That's the second. First of all, don't do it. Deuteronomy 18 forbids it. It's demonic deception. Number two, it's a bunch of chicanery by and large. Number three, if you take a look at their so-called track records we've seen before, folks, excuse me, who would ever want to listen to this so-called wisdom? Watch this. Amid hundreds of prophecies, biblical prophets are not known to have made a single error. Not one. Uh, why? Because God doesn't lie. And he gets everything right. Okay? However, a study of the prophecies made by psychics showed that 72 of their predictions... 72 a sampling, only six were fulfilled in any way, okay? Two of these were absolutely vague, okay? And two others were hardly surprising, like the U.S. and Russia will remain world powers. Turn to somebody and say, duh, okay? Another sampling is 70 of 25 psychics, the top 25 in our country, and of their 72 predictions revealed that 92% were totally wrong. Not right, wrong, Okay? And the remaining 8% could easily be explained by chance and general knowledge of circumstances. Like, hey, it might rain today. Well, duh, look at the clouds. <laughs> you know, okay, okay. And, and some of their false prophecies, they get it wrong all the time. Like one of them, this was funny. Uh, they actually predicted that the Queen of England would become a nun. I guess you forgot to tell her. Okay. But how, how's that track record? You, you want to invest in that? You really think that that's a match for God? That's what, are you kidding me? And this is precisely the point. On the contrary, though, when God makes a prediction, it is not only 100% accurate 100% of the time, but it's specifically accurate in full intimate detail right down to the T. Okay? So that's what we're going to take a look at. God demonstrates to get it through our head. He's not just wise, but he demonstrates that with specific details years in advance, centuries in advance, that only he could know this. Okay? And the first way he shows that is with the rise and fall of nations. The rise and fall of nations. Here's the first text here we're going to see in the book of Daniel, of course, interpreting the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, uh, chapter 2, verse 36, 38, through 39 through 40, and 45. That was the dream, Daniel says, and now I'll tell you what it means. Where do you get the inspiration from that? God. God is the one who gave him. It wasn't from just Daniel. He says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the what? You're the head of gold, okay? And then after you are gone, he says, there another kingdom will rule, but it won't be as strong. Then it will be followed by a kingdom of bronze that will rule the whole world. Next, a kingdom of iron will come to power, crushing and shattering everything. God, ha who has told you? God has told you everything that is going to happen. And if you're familiar with that passage, God did tell Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen in great detail. This is Daniel's famous prophecy predicting the rise of four totally different nations existing hundreds of years apart from each other. The first one, as we know, is Nebuchadnezzar kingdom at that time, Babylon. The second was the Medo-Persian Empire. The third was the Grecian Empire with Alexander the Great. And the fourth was the Roman Empire, which the Bible says is going to be revived in the last days. Now, you might be sitting here thinking that's not a big deal, but the skeptics sure do. The skeptics readily admit that, listen, Daniel so accurately predicted the rise of these four empires right down to the T in great detail, so much so that they actually tried to deny the super, uh, supernatural origin of the book of Daniel. And what they want to say is, Daniel, the only way he could get this so right was he had to write this book after those events took place. That's, really, that's what they do to try to get around this. Now, this, of course, doesn't hold up to the textual evidence, okay? Uh, and so basically what the skeptics are saying, don't confuse me with the facts, okay? Because the logical conclusion is this, only God could do something like that. 
until Daniel, okay? But the Bible not only predicts the rise of nations, the Bible over and over again, when you read the major prophets, the minor prophets, predicts the downfall of nations as well, okay? And there's also another lesson in there. By the way, a lot of them, their downfall came due to their ill treatment of the Jewish people. Do you think there's a lesson to be learned there? Uh, even for our own country, okay? All right, and let's take a look at, at some of those, okay? The Bible specifically predicted in the book of Nahum that the nation of Nineveh, listen, would be permanently destroyed, be destroyed by fire, would be easily captured. Listen, their army officers would desert and they'd even be drunk in their final hours. Now listen to this, as you take a look at that. How many guys would say that's kind of specific, right? This isn't like the so-called psychic, hey, you are going to, you're a, uh, you live in another state, you came to Las Vegas, you're going down to the strip where over 3 million people visit Las Vegas from around the world every single month. You're going down to the strip, it's the first time you've ever been there, you're going to walk down the strip and you're going to see somebody you never saw before. Turn to somebody and say, duh. <laughs> what? That's the psychics. Well, yeah. Ooh, but what's God, listen to the, how specific is that? God says, you're not just going to be destroyed. That would be kind of bland. But he nails it down to the T. Here's this, 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 this. And so the question is, did God get it right? Of course, hello, he's God. Not only did Nineveh cease to exist shortly after this prophecy was made, but just like Nahum said, archaeologists have uncovered a layer of ash when they discovered the area there, showing it was destroyed by fire. They also discovered in ancient Babylonian records that Nineveh was easily overtaken and when the battle occurred, officers fled the scene. It's recorded in the Babylonian records. And a Greek historian records for us, and I quote, listen to this, the king gave much wine to his soldiers that night, which caused them to be drunk. God nailed it down to the T, every single one. But Nineveh is not the only nation that God said is going to fall down. Okay? The book of Isaiah also predicted the nation of Babylon would specifically be overthrown and attacked by the Medes, their gates would open up for a guy named Cyrus, not Chuck, not Earl, not Bob, as cool as those names are. But a guy <laughs> calls him out by Cyrus, and they would be reduced to swampland. Right? Now, how many guys would say against that that's specific? Okay, so the question is, did God get it right? Absolutely, okay. Today's common knowledge that the Medes joined up with the Persians and conquered Babylon. Now, despite Babylon's incredible defenses, I don't have time to get into their walls. Their walls were so huge, so massive, they even had chariot races on top. Nobody, the whole world thought it's impregnable. You'll never make it through Babylon. Well, God doesn't get anything wrong. Despite Babylon's incredible defenses, history records that a guy named Cyrus, it's all over history now, diverted the flow of the Euphrates River. There was one way you can get into that uh, Babylon. They had to have water supply, so they channeled in the river, right? So you couldn't get through the walls, so he just dried up the river, went right underneath. Very smart. History records that. He diverted the flow of the river Euphrates. He marched into the city via the river, riverbed, and archaeological uh, excavations revealed that parts of Babylon today, believe it or not, cannot be dug up because it's underwater, making it swamp-like. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of weird in the desert. Well, where's he at? John Gibson. There he is over there. Oh, we're trying to hide. I still got you. Praise God. Uh, if you don't believe me, even here in Las Vegas, there is a swamp and if you don't believe me, John will take you after service and buy you lunch. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm just trying to sweeten the pot for you. Buddy. And uh, he'll show you there's a swamp here in Las Vegas. 
Believe it or not, folks, in the desert. So, so again, God got that right, okay? And that's what we see. But that's not all. Listen to this. The books of Ezekiel and Amos, okay, predicted that the city of Tyre, listen, would specifically be attacked by many nations, okay? Its fortresses would fail. Their stones, timber, and soil would be thrown into the sea, and the remains of the city would be used, quote, specifically to spread for fishing nets. Now, that's pretty specific, right? So, again, the question is, did God get it right? Absolutely, and this is what we see in history. Babylon was the first to overthrow the city of Tyre, but the people retreated to an inland fortress away from the mainland to escape uh, total destruction. Have you ever been in, in uh, San Francisco? You ever been to uh, Alcatraz? Hopefully you weren't incarcerated there, but uh, you went there and visited there. All right? It's not open anymore. Anyway, I, I don't know that person. No, <laughs> so, but you go to Alcatraz. So, so basically, if you will, it's kind of a similar scenario. So when the people took the mainland, like if you will, they took the city of San Francisco, they would retreat out to this island. Can't get us, right? That's what they would do. And that's what they did uh, with Babylon uh, when at first they were overthrown, okay? And so you said, well, wait a second. So they weren't totally destroyed. Did God get it wrong? No, he wasn't done yet. Almost 250 years later, Alexander the Great, he attacks the city of Tyre. And when he did, guess what the people did? Out in the little thing, they went to their little island fortress, right? But as history records, Alexander the Great, he took the rubble from Tyre's mainland ruins. He literally tore that city apart, and he took the, guess what? Stones, timber, and soil. He cast them into the sea, continued to cast them into the sea until he made a land bridge out to that island fortress. How many of you guys would say that about halfway there, the people stopped going, nye, nye, nye. <laughs> you will. In fact, uh, just like God predicted, Tyre was repeatedly destroyed uh, by the Phoenicians, the Romans, the Crusaders, even the Muslim invasion. And today, Tyre is a flat, barren rock, the original city, the old city, that people used to spread fishing nets out, dry them out there on the flat rock, and mend them and do what they need to do. Wow. Folks, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm, I'm logically thinking that there's no way nobody can know this specific information, the rise and fall of these nations in specific detail in advance without outside help. The, the prophets themselves could not have this knowledge in and of themselves unless it came from God. Okay, somebody who knew the beginning from the end and told them in advance, and that's what God does. Okay, the second fulfilled prophecy is that God demonstrates his wisdom is concerning now the coming of the Messiah. That's just the rise and fall of nations, right? This is why it's important to preach on Bible prophecy. You've heard this from me so many different times. Because one-third of the Bible deals directly or indirectly with Bible prophecy. Old Testament, New Testament, the first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, the millennial kingdom, the eternal... You've got to deal with it. It's all over the place, okay? And, but it also sends home the point that, listen, folks, this book came from God. Right? Only God can know these things. It's his signature. It's his handiwork in there, okay? And so how many, and, you, and yet half the church today does not believe in absolute truth, and half the church today doesn't think that this book is 100% accurate. Why? Maybe it's because nobody's preaching on prophecy. Because when you preach prophecy, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. there's something special about this book. And if God gets all that right, I think he's going to get the rest right too. Right? But you don't get that. If you don't preach prophecy. Now let's take a look at what God says about the coming of the Messiah. Once again, letting us know he knows the future before it even happens. Now this is just one text here, and we should be familiar with this. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a what? A sign. How do you know when the Messiah is going to show up? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him who? Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's, of course, Jesus Christ, okay? And again, I think most of us should be familiar with this passage of the Messiah being born of a virgin, 
uh, at least around Christmas time, seems to come up, okay? And as amazing as this is, folks, this is just one of hundreds. This is just one of hundreds, I say it again, of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, proving he was indeed the Messiah. And again, who made these predictions in advance before Jesus showed up? God. Why? Because he wants us to know for sure, 100%, no doubt, who's the real Messiah. And he does this. Now, we're just going to take a look real quick at just 30 of them. That was just one from Isaiah. Let's take a look at 30 things that God predicted about the Messiah uh, that would happen in the last days. We just saw Isaiah. He would be born of a virgin. He would be born specifically of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'd be descended from the tribe of Judah. He'd be the heir to the throne of David. He'd be specifically born in Bethlehem. He'd be, there'd be a slaughter of innocents. That's what Herod did when he was looking for uh, baby Jesus. They would uh, fly to Egypt. It wasn't on American Airlines. They're talking about running you know, away. And that's what his parents did, if you recall. In the scripture, he'd be preceded by a forerunner, John the Baptist. He'd be declared to be the son of God. He'd have a ministry specifically in Galilee. He'd come to heal the brokenhearted. He'd be rejected by his own. He'd have a triumphal entry. He'd be betrayed by a friend. Guess who that was? Judas. And specifically, not just betrayed, he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah predicted that, right? And how much did Judas get paid in the temple for selling out Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. He'd be accused by false witnesses. He'd be silent to their accusation. He'd be spit upon and smitten. He'd be hated without reason. His hands would be pierced, listen, and he'd be crucified with transgressors. That was before crucifixion was even uh, perfected by the Romans. And it was predicted that this would happen to the Messiah. He'd be scorned. He'd be mocked. He'd be given vinegar and gall. He'd say a prayer for his enemies. Soldiers would gamble for his coat. No bones would be broken. That's important, folks. Because remember when they went to go ahead and, and just do away with the folks? It was taking too long. They came to Jesus, but they pierced his side, which showed the blood and water, which showed the separation, which only happens at actual death. And so what is the one thing they didn't do to Jesus? They didn't break his bones because they would break the bones to speed up the death because you need the bones to keep, <gasps> to keep pushing up to take a breath. And so when you break the bones, you're going downhill real fast. They didn't need to do that to Jesus, fulfilling that prophecy because he was already dead. He'd be buried with the rich. He would rise from the dead and he would ascend to God's right hand. Okay. Now, the point is this, folks. That's just 30. Okay. As we've seen before, when you take a look at the odds of something like this happening, there's no way that men could come up with this on their best day. It's impossible. It is literally impossible. Let's take a look at those odds. Now, the, this is just the odds of eight. We just saw 30. This is just, let's just take the first eight. What are the odds of the first eight of those happening in one man throughout all of human history ever coming to pass? Well, here it is. It's been calculated, okay, that if eight prophecies were fulfilled in any one man throughout human history, be one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, to comprehend the staggering probability of this, it can be illustrated by taking one in 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, laying them all across the state of Texas, two feet deep. That's how many silver dollars it is, okay? Now, mark one of those silver dollars with a red X on it, okay? Stir the whole mass thoroughly somehow, okay? And then blindfold a guy, okay, and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, anywhere he wants, across the whole state of Texas, and he's got one choice, and he must pick up that one silver dollar and say, this is the right one with the red X. Quote, what is the chance that he would ever get the right one? The same mathematical chances that the prophets would have in writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. That's just eight. We just saw... 30. And if you continue to do the study, Jesus fulfilled over 300 
There's no way that could ever happen by chance. In fact, the only way it could happen by chance, logically, is what? Somebody who's above and beyond time, who knew the beginning from the end, could orchestrate the whole thing and tell them in advance. I wonder who that might be. Rhymes with God, for those who are wondering. And that's still all. The Bible also predicts in the book of Daniel, centuries before it happened, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah. The Jewish people uh, had no reason to be caught off guard if they would just uh, do their math, okay? And Daniel predicted the arrival of the Messiah and not just a good guess. He predicted it right down to the exact day. And this is what we see in Daniel chapter 9. If you do the math, it comes out to roughly 173,000, not roughly, it comes out to 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem that the Messiah would come to Jerusalem, be cut off from his people. How many of you guys would say that specific? And we know historically when that decree went out. So as soon as that decree went out, it's, it's locked in there. Just start ticking them off the calendar because 173,880 days, the Messiah is coming to be cut off. Now, uh, if you do the math, that puts you at March 30th, AD 33. And can anybody guess what history records for us on that day? That's the exact day when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he was accepted. No, he was cut off. He was rejected by his own people. The exact day. Now, again, folks, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm kind of thinking that somebody's trying to get our attention. This is no normal book. And when you start to take a look at all these different prophecies, it shows you God's not just wise, but hello, he's the ultimate source of wisdom. He knows it all. And so whatever he says in that book, you can only bank on it. You better do it, right? Okay. But you might be thinking here, okay, Pastor Bill, that's kind of cool, Bible prophecy, right? God's wise. He knows the beginning from the end. It's kind of neat, right? But, but how, how does this help us? I mean, what, what's the important? Why do we need to understand this? Well, one, again, as I already said, I think it gives authenticity to the authority of the scripture, number one. Number two, isn't it good to know that even when things are all messed up, God still not only knows he has a good plan through it all. He already sees how it works out. And the scripture says, Romans 8, 28, he's good. And he works all things together for good for those who love him. Do you love him? That means he's got a good purpose. He's not sweating bullets. Why are you? Right? Number two. Okay. But number three, uh, I think if uh, you're not a Christian, this is the big reason why he's trying to get your attention. Uh, the first thing that it's going to save you from is from being left behind. Because this is not a game, folks. This is the end game of this. The same wise God who predicted all the past events that we just saw, nailed them every single one down to a T in great detail. The same God predicted future events, listen, that would happen just prior to the return of the Messiah because Jesus Christ is coming back. And once again, so that we would not be cut off guard. So that we would know, listen, we don't know the day nor the hour, but we would know that when the seven years tribulation is getting close, and therefore, you need to get saved before that so that you can go at the rapture, okay? God tells us specific events. Now, we're going to take, again, a look at just 30 of them real quick. And you tell me if God's not trying to wake us up. We don't know the day nor the hour, but folks, it is getting extremely close for the return of Jesus Christ to this planet. We better get ready. Okay, let's take a look. First of all, uh, the, God said that, how do you know it's getting close? Well, you're going to be in that generation when all of a sudden you're going to see these people who literally became no people after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. They've been uh, 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 dispersed all across the nation. You're going to see them come back to the land. Israel would return to the land. That never happened. Happened in 1948, and that was like, bang, that's like the, when the 
Things began to roll. And then all of that, God said, how do you know it's getting close? Israel will not only return to the land, they become a nation again. And Israel become a nation in one day. That's exactly how that happened. Israel will become a united nation. They were separated, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, for many, many centuries. They're united now. Israel would have a powerful military. Little bitty, teeny tiny Israel has the fourth most amount of nuclear warfare weaponry on the planet. Israel. Okay? You don't mess with Israel. One of the most well-trained militaries. That's exactly what God said. Their currency would become the shekel. Used to be the British pound when they came back. Around 1980, it turned back to the shekel. Uh, Israel would be blossomed as a rose in the desert. Used to be a complete wasteland. Now they're the breadbasket of the Middle East. Israel would become a source of world conflict. Turn on your TV. That's a sign when you see this stuff in the news every night. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but you're in the last days. Because this is all coming to pass before our eyes. Israel would rebuild the temple. Now, as we've seen before, not only did they have with the Temple Institute, they not only had the priests that they have trained, they not only had the articles rebuilt, by and large, the bulk of them, they not only have now in existence a red heifer for the cleansing of the temple, but they're also starting to do the temple sacrifices again. They're all being trained, the priesthood, the whole nine yards, and they've even gotten so far, they're just waiting for permission. As we've seen before, they've got the blueprints already made. In fact, we live in the day listen, where the blueprints have now been put to 3D animation. This is the temple that is going to be built that the actual Antichrist is going to go up into three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation and declare himself to be God. So what we're about to see, folks, could, this, could we be the first generation to get a sneak peek with our own eyes of the actual structure that John saw 2,000 years ago? that the Antichrist is going to walk into. This is how close it's getting. Watch the 3D animation. This is cool.
We just got to see what no generation has seen since John got his vision. An actual flyby example of parts of the actual temple that the actual Antichrist is going to go up into and declare himself to be God during the seven-year tribulation. Is that crazy or what? Absolutely mind-blowing. But that's just the beginning. We'd see also an increase of travel in the last days, Daniel says, an increase of knowledge, an increase of unrest, an increase of earthquakes and famines and pestilence and wars. Good thing that isn't going on. Yeah, it's going on. Turn, again, turn on your news. Increase of strange events going on in the sky. Increase of global catastrophes all over the place. Increase of false, price, of false Christ and false teachers. Increase of wickedness. Is that abounding a little bit worse than you could ever dream? Yeah. Uh, the church will go into apostasy. The church is not going to get better and better and better. Okay. And then usher in the, the millennial uh, kingdom. That's crazy, folks. Uh, the church is going, unfortunately, down the tubes. We're experiencing that right now. The world will push for a one-world religion. Uh, the people of God will be persecuted all around the whole planet. There will be a rise of an antichrist figure and a false prophet. There will be a push for a one-world government. There will arise a big brother global society because the Bible says in Revelation 13, the antichrist and false prophet will force, order, cause, make, order people to do what they want to do. Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to micromanage the planet? You need a big brother uh, type of system to pull that off. There will be a push for a one-world economy. One man would control all the buying and selling on the planet and there'll be a push for some sort of mark of the beast to be put into people's right hand or forehead across the whole planet good thing we don't see any signs of that folks it's not only the latest trend it's already being put into play in fact you're a little bit further ahead of us but folks people are already getting implants into their bodies into their hands okay to make financial transactions in fact you might need to get one to keep your job in order to buy and sell watch this whether it's for getting on a bus or getting into the office office many of us these days are used to swiping an electronic card but how would you feel if the microchip wasn't in the car but in your hand instead not holding in your hand under, under the, the skin. skin under the skin well one company in sweden is doing just that it offers its staff the chance to have the chip inserted our technology correspondent rory kathleen jones has been finding out how it works Stockholm and a nondescript building has been converted into a high-tech office space. But look under the skin to find something really futuristic. Felicio da Costa doesn't need a pass to get in. Then it's another swipe of his hand for access to his office. What's going on? I've got the ship implant. So uh, that's why the doors let me in. Where's the chip? The chip is right, right inside here. The new offices will soon host a shifting population of 700 entrepreneurs and employees and they'll all be offered the chance to get chipped. I've just been chipped myself. Uh, it's not a painless process but it doesn't last too long, not too difficult. Minor surgical procedure which basically involves uh, a little chip the size of I suppose of a grain of rice being inserted under your skin uh, and you can then go off and have it programmed and then do various things inside the building. Let's go and have a look. The new offices will allow them to use the photocopiers and eventually to log on to computers or pay for food in the cafe. Hi, Hannes. Uh, can I get your contacts? Sure. The man behind the scheme, whose business card can be accessed via his chip, says the aim is to learn lessons. We want to be able to understand this technology before big corporates and big governments come to us and say, hey, everyone should get chipped, the, the tax, uh, tax authority chip or the the Google chip or Facebook chip. Do you understand basically what he's saying? Or the, if you will, mark of the beast or whatever you want to call it. 
Because you might as well just get used to it. It's coming. It's going to be part of our society soon. Just roll over and die. You might as well get used to it now before it's mandated. And that's what Revelation 13 says that the false prophet and the Antichrist are going to do. They're going to force, order, cause, and make you to do it. Just like he says, you must get used to it now before the tax authority, the government, Google, whoever says what you want to call is going to do. This is how far it's progressed. But I don't know about you, but I'm so comforted today to know that our government would never do anything like that. Is it obvious, the sarcasm? Is it obvious? Okay. They wouldn't force us to get an implant like that to track our every move, let alone buy and sell, would they? Folks, I've shared this before, but now as even more stuff has happened with the Supreme Court, let's take a look at it again. Maybe we should have been paying attention to the congressional hearing of John Roberts when he was being grilled for the position of the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And you tell me, folks, if somebody, if our own government doesn't have a plan to mandate, force, order, cause, make us to get a chip, if they so choose, in our own government to track our every move, the one who is grilling him for that position, which he obviously is now the chief justice of the Supreme Court, is Joseph Biden. Listen to what the now vice president is asking the now U.S. Supreme Court about what he is going to have to rule on in our country real soon. Here's the congressional hearing. And we'll be faced with equally consequential decisions in the 21st century. Can a microscopic tag be implanted in a person's body to track his every movement? There's actual discussion about that. You will rule on that, mark my words, before your tenure is over. Can brain scans be used to determine whether a person is inclined toward criminality or violent behavior? You will rule on that. I think the real concern that most people have is that, you know, at some point the government would say, line up and get your chip. Hey, come on, our government would never do that, right? What did he repeatedly say? You will rule on that. Mark my words. So I'm thinking, you know, if Congress has been talking apparently for quite some time now, years, about implanting microscopic tags into people, let alone the brain scan thing, uh, to track their every move, uh, then they're probably going to at some point implant microscopic tags into people, even here in the United States, to track their every move. And that brain scan thing, hey, wouldn't that be nifty to determine who's a terrorist? Like the Christians? Both of those things. Now you might think, well, they, they never do that. How many times have we got to get burned, folks? These are the exact same two entities who now both being in their positions. Remember we thought, oh, no way in the world would Obamacare, the Affordable Health Care Plan, ever make it through the Supreme Court. Remember that? What happened? Who was the swing guy? Who were the people pushing for this? Recently, even more recently, we thought, oh, no, it'll stop at the Supreme Court. I know the individual states are going a little bit crazy. But there's no way in the world that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to redefine marriage and vote for same-sex marriage. How many times do we got to get burned? And the exact same two entities are talking about forcing implants into people in our own country to track their every move and force them to go to a brain scan because we all know computers don't lie. Ooh, terrorists, terrorists. Folks, all this is given by God to wake us up. It shows us he's not only wise, he knows everything. But it's also to show us that, little folks, it's getting close. And this is why Jesus said, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because the redemption, your redemption is drawing near. He's coming back to get us. And that's not a bad thing. If you love him, right? 
He's coming back to get us. So the point is, as Christians, if we're here today, this is a sign for us to stop goofing off and start getting busy working together, sharing the gospel. Amen? That's why we're still here. He's trying to get us motivated to wake up, okay? We don't know the day nor the hour, but it's getting close. How do you, what do you want your last act here on earth before you get rapture being? Wouldn't it be great if it was leading somebody to Jesus? Number two, if you're not a Christian, please, I beg you, heed these signs, heed these warnings. Why do you think God brought you here today? To let you know it's getting close. You don't want to be here in the seven-year tribulation. You don't want to be here when the Antichrist takes control. Jesus said it's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. And it was so horrible that unless God kept it to seven years, the entire human race would be destroyed. You don't want to be there. There's only one way out. And his name is Jesus Christ. Call upon his name today. Ask him to forgive you and save you. And he will. You have been warned. We'll close in prayer after this.
you every time. Are you ready? Remember, God knows everything. He knows if you're faking it. He knows if you're real. Make sure it's real today. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly 
And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.